0: This is Aging Matters, Care and Comfort that Surrounds You on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Clagett and Cooper Linton, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason
1: Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort that Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton of Transitions Life Care. Cooper, how are you, sir? I'm feeling lovely this evening. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that you brought out the seersucker. I, I feel I feel at home with you. Cooper. This is your natural look.
2: You know, I actually, I sleep in seersucker. I want to be clear.
1: I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm, not that, like, um, that information does not surprise me at all. Matlock does aging matters. That's kind of my... <laughs> you know. And uh, the, I guess the, the anti-matlock. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I'll say it anyway. Nicole Clayett with Transitions Guiding Lights. Hi. Nicole, how are you? I'm
3: so glad to be here.
1: And no seersucker for you. So. No, no, no
3: comments on my no. wardrobe tonight. Cooper <laughs> Cooper takes
1: care of the seersucker for all of us. He uh, does. So, so. Well, let's, let's get into this tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, two different subjects, but the common factor between them, Cooper, is fear. And these are things that uh, folks, again, are, are not uh, very enthusiastic about, and hence they probably don't talk about and do as much research and follow up on, on them as they should.
2: Well, there, there's nothing that chills conversation quite like things that we are afraid of. Uh, and what happens is we're afraid to talk about them, and so the anxiety builds and we become more fearful, and then we wait until there's some crisis that makes us confront these issues. So we would rather trot these issues out in the uh, in, in daylight and talk about them. One of them is the emergency department or the emergency room, depending mm-hmm. on what lingo you are most familiar with. Um, people are really afraid of the emergency department and often find themselves using it uh, sometimes inappropriately, or they're forced to go there uh, out of some um, unexpected event. And then how do they navigate it? What do they do? And it's an overwhelming experience. So we're going to talk about emergency rooms or emergency departments. And then we're also going to have a segment of the show today to talk about long-term care insurance. Uh, We have heard in so many places that we can't even cover them, that there is a great trepidation, a great fear of how do I pay for long-term care? Now that fear may be for myself, it may be for my loved ones, or my loved one has a policy, or I think they have a policy, and I don't really know what it covers, and then they don't really go to the next step and find out. So we, we wanna have a little discussion about two things that seem to spook people a lot this evening.
3: So I think starting off with the emergency room, you know, um, it's a place, you know, since the show focuses on caregivers, it's a place that often we find older adults. And a lot of times, a lot of that's related to slips, trips, and falls in the home. Um, A lot of times it's related to, you know, perhaps that older adult having something going on for a while, and we do this as young people too, we sort of ignore the symptom, ignore the the symptom, and then suddenly we find ourselves so sick that we find ourselves in an emergency department. But then when you get to that emergency department, it becomes a very complicated and confusing place for that older adult. Um, Recently I found an article about actually an emergency department that's really trying to do some new things because they have so many older adults going in, to really set it up to, to be a place that is a safe place for, for seniors. Things like decreasing noise. You know, it can be very overwhelming for a senior that especially has a cognitive impairment.
2: It can become very uh, disorienting. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the all the stimuli coming in at one time actually can be very disruptive their their cognitive state.
3: And I think it's really tricky, too. You know, when you think about the emergency department, you have to deal with people uh, – the entire spectrum of life. You have, you know, all the way from, you know, pregnant moms and infants in the be- in the belly with infants to all the way to older adults. And so to have the staff cross-trained and specifically the needs of every single level of care, I, I can well imagine it could be pretty complicated.
2: Well, I think we're asking people in these departments to be absolute specialists
3: mm-hmm.
2: in absolutely everything. And it's almost impossible to ask folks to do that. But remarkably, they, they run pretty well, mm-hmm. but it's... It is an overwhelming experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can seem chaotic, and depending on what's happening in the ER, it may actually be chaotic. Uh, And how do you navigate that? What are some things you can do Mm -hmm. to make that experience better?
3: And I think sometimes people go to the ER because they don't feel like they have any other choice, you know, and and I work with family caregivers all the time that are just at their breaking point and they feel like they can't get any home and community-based care in the home and they just can't take it another day and, you know, they're just completely burned out so they just bring mom or dad to the emergency room and say, deal with this, I can't take them back home. And that's a very real problem that happens in our area.
2: What becomes the easy button? Uh, and unfortunately, it's the most expensive, easy button in the entire healthcare system. So when patients are home, caregivers are home, and there's the freak out point either, either because it's just mm-hmm. overwhelming emotionally or because there is something physiologically going on. The easy button is actually spelled 911. And it does interrupt that cycle of care, but it may actually create more stress and more challenges for the caregiver in the long run than they were dealing with beforehand. Uh, so the emergency department is a great place, but it's not a great place for everything and everybody.
3: And the other thing too, and I think you might know more about this Cooper than I, but you know, folks sometimes are in the emergency department for a days and it's not considered a hospital admission. So that's a whole new tricky thing that people are facing and then they think suddenly when they go home they'll be able to have certain benefits for Medicare and that's really not the case. <laughs> right. there,
2: There's some confusion about patients who are put in observation in an emergency mm-hmm. department and that typically does not qualify for the overnight stays that are needed for your traditional Medicare placement uh, in uh, a rehab facility which requires a three-day Medicare stay. Observation stays don't count in that criteria so there's uh, there's confusion it's not just being in the hospital it's where you are and under what status you're held in the hospital it's complicated Mm -hmm. and that's part of this sense of people being overwhelmed when they get there they were overwhelmed and that's kind of what led them to the er and now they just have a different overwhelmed
3: and now you know i think the hospitals are really starting to notice these folks that are they call them frequent flyers in and out of the emergency rooms you know gosh if we could provide them just a little support at home that could really make a huge difference but then that kind of leads into the second part of what we're going to be talking today when they're trying to make the referrals to these types of resources families are quite surprised that medicare doesn't cover all this and a lot of this needs to come out of that private purse
2: it does and that kind of leads us to that that Mm -hmm. major what what do i do now and you know they say well i'm, I'm going to go to medicare is going to cover me if i go to the nursing For home 24 well,
3: 7 care in uh, the home maybe sh- the short answer is <laughs>
2: no they're not um,
3: yeah. but i was told <clears throat> well i, I was <laughs> also
2: told i was going to be six foot two and really handsome so it's um, not everything that you're told turns out to be true and
3: the seersucker though you
2: know, I, you know what <laughs> let's be honest i'm using the seersucker as, as a crutch um <laughs> people think they're going to get something paid for. Medicare is going to cover it. Medicaid is going to cover it. First off, Medicare is not a long-term care coverage policy. Uh, There is a rehab component. There are certain criteria that have to be met, and Medicare will pay for some rehab for an undetermined period of time, but not nearly as long as people think. Mm -hmm. That is measured in days, not months and years. And they say, well, Medicaid is going to cover it. Well, Medicaid may under certain circumstances. And that is also not as easy to obtain and understand as people think it is. It's not just walking down to the social security office or to the department of social services and filling out your paperwork and ta da, you have placement. It's just not that simple. So people need to have additional plans in place. And that's really what brings us to what are some of the financial instruments that people can look at Mm that will create options and resources for them and some flexibility as they face uncertainty at end of life or really even before end of life. It's really in that aging process where you're looking at changes in your functionality.
3: And I think as we're starting to see the baby boomers come of age and they're starting to care for their elderly parents, when they're suddenly faced with, oh my gosh, this is costing me $15,000 a month to provide care for my loved one, I need to start thinking about what am I gonna do for myself? And that is a, a very scary thought because the reality of it is this older generation did a lot better job saving money than the next generation down. They were much more instant gratification, and so there isn't quite as much in the and bank accounts. There's not a
2: whole lot of guaranteed pensions out there, yeah. guaranteed benefit plans that we used to count on. The reality is most of us can't name five people in our lives that are on, that are on defined benefit pension plans. So uh, I think we'll, we're going to jump into this show bringing some guests in that can address the
1: two topics that we've kind of teed mm-hmm. up and that can really shed some expert light on them.
3: Well, I'm looking forward to it.
1: And we'll do just that. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. And you can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. This is News Radio 680 WPTF.
0: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to
1: Aging Matters: Care and Comfort That Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett and Cooper Linton. And Cooper, we've got a multi-dimensional show, and you've brought in a multi-dimensional guest.
2: We absolutely have. Uh, we're privileged to have Doctor Bobby Parks back. He is a physician with Wake Emergency Physicians, which is one of the roles in which he will talk. Uh, with some significant authority today on the show. But he is also the director for RelyMD. And RelyMD is a use of technology to make uh, emergency room expertise available, regardless of where you are. And we're gonna uh, let Dr. Parks talk about that in more detail. So we wanna talk about really the role of the emergency physician, but also what are some resources that are out there to help caregivers, help patients navigate the ER and sometimes avoid the ER. So welcome to the show.
4: Thanks. It's great to be back again.
2: Well, can can we start with you kind of explaining your two roles just for a minute? I tried to do it, but no one's going to do it as well as
4: you. (laughs) Sure. Uh, So I am a practicing emergency medicine physician with Wake Emergency Physicians. It's a private democratic group here in in the Triangle. I know it's odd to think of Uh, a private practice group made of ER docs, but we are. We're 100 doctors and 65 uh, nurse practitioners and uh, and physician assistants. And we staff nine different emergency departments across the triangle, providing the clinical care in those emergency departments.
2: And that that is a medical specialty?
4: Yes, it's its own specialty nowadays. And you go to uh, your own residency program for that. So uh, I've been practicing with Wake Emergency Physicians since 2003. Uh, so I've been with that group now for what? Oh, actually, I just lied. 2006. <laughs> Can't do math. Uh, 2006. And so I've been with the group now for about 11 years.
3: So we talked a little briefly in the first segment about, you know, the issue with older adults in the emergency rooms and, you know, family caregivers having to, to deal with the navigation of that, what are some tips that you could give the family caregiver mm-hmm. uh, about how to best navigate that emergency room visit? And I, I think first thing is don't leave them there alone. I mean, I think that goes for anybody. Right. And no offense, but oh, absolutely. it's just... Oh,
4: absolutely. So here's my take. I'm going to give you just some pragmatic sort of tips as far as, one, you know, if you have to go to the emergency department, then this is what I would do personally. Mm-hmm. This would be the advice that I would give somebody who, who were to call me and say, "Hey, listen, I'm taking my mom in because of X, Y, Z complaint." Depending on the time of day or night. Mm-hmm. So most emergency departments, depending on which one you decide to go to, have has an uh, emergency department wait time tracker. Yep. So you can get online.
3: They're on billboards. That's right. Some <laughs> some,
4: some systems have them on billboards. Um, in the Triangle, you can go to that healthcare system type in healthcare system x emergency department wait time and it'll tell you all the different wait times of all the different emergency departments. So sometimes you don't really have a choice. It's 911 and right. you just got to go to the closest one, but most of the time we have some choice yeah. and some, you know, time like to my figure arm was it out. Off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and if you see that the wait time for the ER that you're going to go to is 3 hours as opposed to the one that's 30 minutes down the road at, with a 30 minute wait, then there's not a lot of math there. You know, you can figure out that it's probably better to go over there. So that's one thing I would say. Mm-hmm. The second thing I would say is, yes, if you're, the, if, if you're taking a senior who, you know, may have a cognitive impairment or even not, just, mm-hmm. it, just bottom line. It's overwhelming. When you're with a patient, it's always, always better to have a family member there mm-hmm. who can advocate for you. Mm-hmm. So I always recommend that. I even tell patients, if you're going to be admitted to the hospital, I will always recommend having a family member there because, again, no one's going to advocate better on that patient's behalf or know what's going on better than a family member who's at the bedside.
3: So what about, um, you know, just thinking in advance? I remember when I was caregiving for my grandfather, you know, I had to send him out to the ER once, and it was a very serious situation. On his chest as he went out in in the uh, ambulance, I had slapped on top of him an entire list of his medications, his advanced directives, the whole nine yards. I mean when you're in that situation, sometimes you're not going to remember doses and all. Is that helpful or is it really easy for you to figure out what a person's on without somebody bringing that oh, list no, with them?
4: That is very helpful. There's no because, magical list
3: in the sky somewhere that people can reach down yeah, and get. <laughs> if they've
4: been to that emergency department before, mm-hmm. then there might be a list of medications that um, you know that's in the electronic medical record, but it may not be up to date. So it's always great to have a list of meds and allergies and history and all of that stuff with them so that's that's just gravy I mean (laughs) because most of the time we're all you know I we say it all the time emergency medicine it's kind of working with incomplete information because every time you see a patient it's the first time you've seen them before you know so what are some other things that a family can do
2: I mean obviously being sure that there's medications there being present What does that engagement look like? I think sometimes people are afraid to speak up, Mm -hmm. or they're they're not sure who to work with when they Mm -hmm. get in the emergency room. What are some tips for helping Mm -hmm. a family member navigate what can seem like a chaotic Mm -hmm. care environment?
4: Hopefully, so in 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 my opinion, I think probably the best thing that you as a patient can, or family member of a patient, can do to make that ER visit what you hoped it was, is to make sure that you tell the physician, hopefully they will get this from you, but sometimes because it's so busy or so hectic or so chaotic, they're kind of in and they're out, um, making sure that you tell them what it is you're there for, what your biggest concern is. I'm here because mom's not acting right and I think it might be a urinary tract infection. Mm But, you know, with patient's history of fever and dementia Confusion and yeah, confused, maybe they're actually thinking, you know, they're here for XYZ problem. And so yeah. then now comes a gigantic workup. So I think it's really yeah. important to tell that doc or physician assistant, hey, we're here because we have this concern. So can you please, you know, address that? And that is music to our ears. You would think that most providers would kind of be able to get that from a family or a patient, but that's not always the case.
3: So one of the things that I uh, work regularly with is an online support group of family caregivers and recently somebody posted you know, a situation where literally, and for whatever reason, this this loved one um, is really focused on constantly going to the doctor or to the emergency room to get checked out because she's worried that there's something wrong with her mm. and this family member is at her wit's end because she's just like, I just can't do another four hour emergency room stay to say everything is fine and then to go back home and so I know that you have another solution with another hat that you wear that might be something that could help a family caregiver if something isn't quite as urgent. Could you talk to us a little bit about that?
4: Sure. Uh, So um, Wake Emergency Physicians, three years ago, started an online virtual telemedicine service. So it's called RelyMD. So you can Google that. RelyMD is 100% owned and staffed by our physician group, Wake Emergency Physicians. And so it's an online service where basically you make an account, just like a you know a username and a password. Uh, you download the app or you go online to relymd.com and you say see a doctor. And it's meant to be user friendly, super simple. Tell us what's wrong, and then a doctor gets on with you. On average, around seven minutes from that. And it's just meant to be. It's meant to simplify healthcare in in a lot of ways. Um, it's more affordable and it's just kind of intuitive and increasing access. So if you have a family member or someone that you're concerned about, should I go to the emergency room? Is this something that's concerning? You know, I I joke all the time, you know, I quit judging people's emergencies a long time ago. There's a lot of visits in the (laughs) ER that may not necessarily need emergency care, but that patient was scared or the mom was scared or what have you, so I don't judge those anymore. At the end of the day, if you're concerned, then one one resource you have is ReliMD You download the app, you use it, and then we will get on with you, go through it with you. What are you worried about? And then it might be, yeah, that does need to go to the ER. That that cut does need stitches. Um, or maybe it doesn't. And so it, it's all of five to 10 minutes invested in getting online and doing it. Um, and then you may end up avoiding an ER visit.
2: What if I need a prescription that comes out of this?
4: Yes, so we have um, embedded, um, uh, we have uh, sure scripts Basically, we can call in prescriptions uh, electronically for you if, so I if could it's actually, indicated.
2: I could actually avoid an ER trip if it's something that's fairly simple to manage.
4: Absolutely.
1: And Dr. Bobby Parks is here with us. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. We appreciate you uh, helping us get some tips about visiting the emergency room. Happy to be here. And you can find more about him uh, at RelyMD.com. That's uh, where you can find information about that service. Again, Dr. Bobby Parks, director of Rely MD and also with Wake Emergency Physicians. A quick break and back. You're listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort That Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680, WPTF.
0: This is Aging Matters, Care and Comfort That Surrounds You on News Radio 680, WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggitt from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care, here's your host, Jason Kong. News Radio
1: 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton and Nicole Cleggitt, and we're talking about uh, two big subjects that often cause a lot of fear in uh, caregivers and people in general, and we we discussed the visit to the emergency room, and now we're shifting over to long-term care. And Cooper, man, this is something that uh, people are rightfully afraid of because it can just be catastrophic financially if you're in a long-term care situation.
2: Well, we we want to talk about caring for the people that we love. And we said, well, that's far more important than money. And I think most of us would agree with that, but it takes money. It just takes, it takes money to buy food. It takes money to buy housing. It takes money to buy health care. And when you realize that If you look at the total pool of caregivers in in North Carolina, 10% of those, so 10% of that total number is over 100,000 people who are caregivers today are saying they may have to give up their job to be a caregiver. That's an incredibly high number of people who are talking about taking a major financial impact in order to fulfill the role of being a caregiver. And it's frightening to people. And frankly, there's some reasons it should be frightening. It's a lot scarier if you're not prepared. You don't have the pieces in place. And you can't really wait until the moment you need long-term care to buy long-term care insurance. And yet we don't wanna talk about it. It's spooky, it's big. Uh, And so we've asked that Bill Comfort, who is a long-term care specialist join us on the show this evening and kind of walk us through what are some of the decision points people should consider in evaluating if they need long-term care and where do they get started? Bill, welcome. Thanks. Uh, I'm glad to
5: get to be here. And we've we've touched on a number of things that all come into play. I always start the conversation, or I would like to, by recognizing that we have to start with the subject is long-term care and planning for care the way that an individual and his or her family would want things to happen not that we ever want to need care but if we mm-hmm. did how should it work how can we manage it or not manage it as a family and financially and then we go to the insurance and and financial products as a solution as a way to provide additional money to pay for it but the but the policy Solution, if that's what someone chooses, has to serve the plan. And, you know, you kind of, so what's going on? Is there a daughter who works, who needs to, wants to stay in her job? And if she has to stay in her job, she can't be a caregiver. And if she can't stay in her job, how does she take care of her family? And that really becomes part of this overall look at planning and how do we try to solve that problem for families?
3: And Bill, I'd like to pick up on something that you said uh, related to, you know, we don't want to have to have care. But the reality of it is we are we are really good at replacing parts and pieces in our bodies now. We can get a new heart. We can get new knees. We can get new hips. We can get basically everything but a new brain, and I'm quite sure somebody's grown one somewhere. Right. Um, and so that's coming most people are going to need some care right. at some point down the road. And actually, I was, I was noticing um, Genworth did a cost of care survey. And, you know, for example, if somebody wants in-home care, the average yearly cost, not for 24-7 care, just for enough care to help that person get, get by is over $45,000 a year.
5: Right. If 4000 a month buys part-time
3: very (laughs) (laughs) part-time like
5: five or six hours seven days a week or eight
2: to ten hours you know Mm -hmm. a few days a week so if i can can jump in on this just from a personal experience we were looking at 24-hour live-in care at one point for a loved one that i was caregiving for and we were not trying to find uh, the rolls-royce of care Uh, that would have been nice but that wasn't one of the options but it was also not optional for this person to be alone. They were not safe to be alone. This was not a preference. This was a physical safety issue. And we were looking at conservatively seven to 10 or $11,000 a month for private in-home care. Now we ultimately had to look at some additional options because that's a frightening number, Bill, and that's not a that's not a make believe number. That's real math from my own personal experiences. And, and that can be, you know, I, I would consider that
5: the high end for home mm-hmm. care, twenty four seven live in care, that eight to ten or twelve thousand. Of course, that also begins to get us into high end residential facility care, particularly if it's skilled. And and what I want to make sure we do is have people recognize that that's what the cost could be but that most people can't even afford the extra three to 5,000 a month for part-time home care. And here's where that's so valuable. If you could have an aide, a helper, a companion because you need the assistance in your home for five or six hours a day, or eight hours, three or four days a week, that can create enough relief, enough of a break, enough of a stress reduction to keep a still independent spouse healthy and sane. Eight hours during the day could keep that adult child employed. Mm -hmm. Um, I have found that for couples, often the first shift that's hired when it's a couple and one spouse is taking care of the other is overnight. Mm-hmm. Because if you have someone who's just got balance and frailty issues, and they're getting up two, three times a night to use the restroom, um, the other spouse is getting up, waking up, and if you don't get a good night's uh, sleep, sleep exa- it is it, huge. it exacerbates stress. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think while we need to be aware it could cost eight, ten, twelve thousand $12,000, where we have to start is how do we solve first the three to 5,000 to keep things sane and safe at home. Well,
2: but Nicole, Nicole just touched on something, which is a sleep deprivation piece. People think, well, this, this event starts and I've got this covered, I can do this on my own. And you can, right? For about two weeks, right? Until you wake up one day and you don't know what day it is, and it's because you haven't had a good night's sleep in two weeks. And what's interesting is, you know
5: when the kids begin to really get active, is not when they see, say dad, you know, needing help physically or supervision for cognitive or kind of mental kind of issues, but it's when they see mom Break down. to suffer, break yep. down exactly yep. from those stresses. And now the kids begin to get involved. And they will. Mm-hmm. They, they will, even with long term care insurance. And this is something I tell my clients all the time. Long term care insurance does not replace mm-hmm. what a spouse or family or friends might do. It helps those people do it better it and longer. Yeah. It, it, it gives relief, it lets them continue their life and lifestyle. Mm-hmm even while they engage.
3: So let's let's break this down for just a second uh, and really just get into sure. what exactly is long-term care insurance sure. because, you know, it, it's not our Blue Cross and Blue Shield policy. It's not our Medicare policy. It's not our Medicaid policy. Exactly what is it and how do people access it and, and when's the right time to actually right. ha- get it?
5: <laughs> I, I think, you know, we touched on initially uh, that you cannot wait until you need care to buy long-term care insurance. It's like adding collision to your auto after you hit the tree. Um, uh, that's kind that's, of an oversimplified well, analogy. Well, it's pretty accurate. So. But, but it's true. So here's, So let's start broad and move to specifics quickly. Long-term care insurance should really be thought of, I think, as a post-retirement disability insurance. It kicks in when you're not safe getting through the day either physically or because of some sort of cognitive or mental limitation. We think of Alzheimer's dementia could be a head injury. Long-term care insurance is best purchased and the the window ideally is 50 to 65, maybe 50 to 70, depending on your health. The longer you wait, the more expensive it becomes, obviously.
2: So what are the elements that we need to be looking at? Where do I get started? What are the questions I need to ask when I sit down with a long-term care broker? Right. the, the, the key design
5: things that work with the rest of your financial plan, how much will the policy make available each day or each month for care? What we call the benefit amount. Next up is the benefit period. Once you begin to need care, how long will that money last? And you could buy a policy that's as short as two years or as long as six years, we still have a couple of options where there's lifetime unlimited benefits available. Um, will that money grow with inflation? If you're 55 and you don't need care till you're 80, it's gonna cost more than four or 5,000 for that you know, five hour shift a day. Um, and then there's a deductible period, they call it a waiting period that's 30 to 90 days. Again, a lot like a disability policy would be. And
2: where do I look to get started if I'm a family member that's making some thoughts toward long-term care policy purchases?
5: Yeah, family members who are caregivers recognize they need to be in a different position perhaps than their parents. Um, They may need some help with their parents own coverage and a good long-term care specialist should be able to help them navigate both. Both the claim but also then making that proactive plan for their own uh, future. I think you want to find an agent who specializes because it's very detailed and you want to find somebody ideally who represents a lot of not only different companies, but different ways to buy the insurance. There's all kinds of new forms of long-term care insurance.
1: That is the voice of Bill Comfort. He is a long-term care specialist with Comfort Long-Term Care. Bill is the best place for folks to find some more information. Your website, comfortltc.com. That's it very good very good thank you so much for joining us this evening we appreciate having you on you're welcome again that website comfortltc.com. a quick break and back you're listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care on news radio 680 wptf
0: this is aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you on news radio 680 wptf with your co hosts nicole cligett and cooper linton Here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong.
1: Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of transitions life care on News Radio 680 WPTF. I want to remind you you can go to transitionslifecare.org for more information. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton and Nicole Cleggett and we just wrapped up a conversation on long-term care and there's a uh, Cooper uh you know we kind of ran out of time with Bill there, but there's a couple more things that we wanted to hit on before we we wrap up the show today.
2: There are, uh, you know, there's two situations when you're facing long-term care. Uh, There's two general situations. One is people are looking at a policy that their loved one already has, and they have questions about what does it cover? Mm -hmm. How old is this policy? And back when some of these policies were written, they really contemplated nursing home care only. Some of them played a little bit with assisted living. Now, as we're moving toward more people being at home, those policies sometimes need to be questioned as, do we want to only use this for nursing home care? And I and don't assume that everything that's written in that policy is permanently static that there may not be other ways to access that policy
3: you know cooper you're right and i've worked in in private duty home care and that was really not very relevant you know 30 years ago when some of these policies were written and i can tell you that based on my experience and what i've heard from family caregivers you know these policies sometimes pay for some pretty creative things so a suggestion would be you know obviously if you're starting to notice signs that your loved one may need some long-term care look in that policy see what it says And if it says nursing home only, don't, as Cooper said, assume that that's all that it means. You know, it may cover things like adult day care or geriatric care services or home care services. And and just, you know, call the number and... A lot of times these policies are very happy to pay for some of these other services that cost a lot less money than permanent nursing home placement.
2: Well, (laughs) including things that folks often don't think about, such as equipment in the home Mm -hmm. or modifications to the home. For example, if we can make a modification in the home that's a one-time expense of $2,000 or $3,000, that can actually help someone stay home and you recoup, And the insurance company recoups that savings very very quickly so there's some creative approaches to the use of these policies i would really encourage folks to reach out to a long-term care specialist an expert in these plans and find out what's covered what's not covered how would you use the benefit if you need to and those same thoughts need to be baked in if you're looking at evaluating a policy what do i want in the future and what will be included in this policy, because the care that you're going to need in twenty years may not even exist today on the market with the use of technology? I mean, we just had Dr. Parks on where he's got an app on his phone that lets me talk to an emergency room physician. Mm-hmm. That wasn't on the planet,
3: not on a radar five years ago. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> and so this technology and the use of caregiving is evolving, and we need to have an eye toward that as we look at financial instruments that help us navigate the expenses of aging.
1: Yeah, that's a a good point.
3: So I think another thing um, that we need to hit on today, obviously, and I know I'm beating a drum here on this, but we do have two upcoming educational opportunities that I think are definitely worth the time for family caregivers to attend. Um, The first, and you can find this on the WPTF website, is uh, called Accelerating the Pace, Clinical Strategies, Research, Advances, and Advocacy Efforts in Dementia. And that's a mouthful to say. If you want (laughs) to know the latest and greatest and what's going on in dementia research in our area and across the country, um, you want to be here. And so we have some of the foremost uh, physicians in the area. We have some folks coming nationally from the Alzheimer's Association for a day of a lot of education and enlightenment. And, and I think another piece of this is, you know, getting a diagnosis of an Alzheimer's or dementia is, is pretty devastating. And a lot of times families are just sitting there with absolutely no hope. And so, um, you know, also trying to think about what can we do to find some blessing, some of these smaller moments and, and kind of walk with that family caregiver during that journey. So that's gonna be on uh, Friday, June 8th. And that's going to be at 111 Place in Cary, and it's from 8 in the morning until 315 in the afternoon. And I really encourage you, if you're interested in learning what's going on with um, Alzheimer's and related dementia, that you be there.
1: Yeah, on the Aging Matters webpage at WPTF.com is the best way to find more information there. We've got a a big banner there right underneath where the uh, podcast link is. And you just click on that and you'll find all the information that uh, you could possibly want to know about (laughs) the Accelerating the Pace uh, event. And that that does sound like a a really cool event because there's so much happening here in terms of research in the triangle.
3: Definitely. We're blessed.
1: So that brings us actually to our second event, uh,
2: which is the Caregivers Summit. Uh, We're doing four of those this year, and the first one is actually next month. June 14th. June 14th, and it will be in a new location at the Sheraton Imperial. Uh, For those of you that are not familiar with it, that is located there off of Page Road, just on the edge of RTP. It's a Durham address, but very accessible off of 540, I-40, and highway 54 so there's lots of ways to get to it Uh, in the years past we've struggled with parking at our durham event and this year we're not going to we have enough parking i think we can we We can can take care of everybody (laughs) we can park the better part of the triangle there so Uh, Lots of seating available, lots of easy parking, and some incredible educational opportunities this year as well.
3: Definitely, and you know, um, one of the things that we really focus on with this event is providing opportunities for the caregivers that are attending to get what they need that day. You may want lots of information about a particular disease, or you may want to collect an entire bag full of information about resources, or you just may want to take a break. And you have the opportunity at these summits to do any one or all of the above. Uh, and so, you know, we have things uh, focusing on Alzheimer's and dementia just because that is a huge issue that um, faces older adults. But then, really, no matter what your diagnosis is, for your loved one, you know, we have ways of uh, bringing sessions together that pull you together no matter what the diagnosis is. Even building a care team, you know, we talk a lot about how, we even talked about it on the show today, you know, you can do really great doing it all for two straight weeks as a family caregiver, but then you're gonna hit a wall. And so how do you build a support team around you when sometimes what you thought was gonna be a short caregiving experience ends up being weeks, months, and maybe even years?
2: So there's also a couple of things that are really designed around helping the caregiver care for themselves. One of them is a guided meditation for caregivers and go, oh, that's way too hokey for me. Well, (laughs) if you could find a few moments of respite within your day and Mm -hmm. learn some skills that help you calm the chaos of your world while you're a caregiver day after day. This really may not be hokey at all. It may actually be a great gift to yourself and for the person that you love. So there's some assistance in that.
3: Caregiver timeout. It is a caregiver timeout, not because you did
2: something wrong, but because you did a lot right. And
3: I've had caregivers even call me literally hiding in a closet because they needed a break from their loved one and just needed five minutes. So this is a way to learn some tools to actually get those five minutes and 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 not hide in the closet, I don't think. (laughs) We also want
2: to talk about medications, and we think about all the prescriptions that we get, and that's great. But there's a ton of medications that people are taking that are over-the-counter. And so there's going to be a pharmacist who is geriatric-focused who's going to help navigate or help you navigate uh, the -the over-the-counter medications and the impact that may have on the person that you love, particularly someone who is aging.
3: Another area that we often and, and we repeat this um, sort of stream of thought every year, just because it's so popular, is really legal issues. And I can tell you on an, on the online support group that I facilitate, there isn't barely a day that goes by that somebody doesn't have a question about, I ha, you know, when do I start using my loved one's power of attorney or. You know, do do their advanced directives transfer from one state to the next or what does a do not resuscitate order mean? And so we actually always have a a session with an attorney that goes over these tools and actually gives family caregivers free access to legal services that day, which is awesome. How often do we get to do that? And they can really pick the brain of that attorney and get some much needed information as well.
1: Yeah, it's a, a great opportunity. And again, you can go to caregiversummit.org. That's the website. And we, again, we have a link on the WPTF.com Aging Matters page for folks to get more information there. And uh, the registration process is quick and easy, it's right? It's quick
3: and easy. And you know, I encourage people to pre-register. Uh, we do accept registrations the day of, but we really would rather folks register in advance just so we know what to expect. We help, us to
2: plan, yeah. I, I, I help us plan, please. Help us plan.
3: order it, lunch now. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and there's
2: also the part that... If you're a caregiver who needs a day of respite Mm -hmm. through having your loved one stay in an adult daycare for the day, we will actually cover that as part of your $15 registration. Mm -hmm. But we have to have a heads up Mm -hmm. because that has to be planned for by everybody.
3: Yeah, it's not just the drop-off situation. No,
1: no, no yeah the, the, the care is not on site at the sheraton no a small bit of information to ask for uh, really a, a very generous service that you guys are offering offering again caregiversummit.org is the website to visit and we also have a link at wptf.com just head over to the aging matters section I want to thank our guests this evening dr bobby parks with uh wake emergency physicians and director of rely md as well as bill comfort he was a long-term care specialist with comfort long term care and you can find more information about him at comfort ltc Com. We are just about out of time for today. I want to remind you that if you have a question for Cooper or Nicole, I'm not going to be able to answer this with much expertise. <laughs> They're the ones you want to talk to. You can shoot them an email, matters at transitionslifecare.org. at Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll hope you'll do it again next week with Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680. WPTF.
0: You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.